0: Sonny's can feed one family of thousands. I just wanted to do what I could. The kingdom of heaven you okay? is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. What do you mean by that? No, I don't. Look, Let me say look, it another way. Instead of we should This is like a merchant in search of fine things. Wow. There's no well, way to feed this. One babies. pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Listen carefully, because this is accessible to all of you, regardless of race or creed. It's the last thing we need so to the do. The kingdom okay, is so valuable that once you have glimpsed it. It's worth parting with everything you have you me, in Jesus, order to gain it. We shouldn't burden you. Even though to others you might look like a fool, throwing away your life savings to buy what would look to others an unremarkable field. But you know of the hidden treasure. And that makes it worth everything. Have you come closer to here, better? No, there, there is an issue. My friends, if you'll excuse me, I must speak with my students a moment. Rabbi, mm. people are all out of food. Some have been without food for days, others have traveled a great distance. So, give them something to eat. We're out of food. They're out of food. Is it time to send them home? Well, at this point, they're so hungry and tired, if we send them home, they're faint along the way. You knew they were hungry? Yes, Judas. I can see them while I'm talking. (sighs) Mmm. Well, this is a tough one. Where can we buy some bread for all these people? We only came with a little over 200 denarii. Rabbi, that's not even enough to get a little bit for everyone. I wouldn't even know how to calculate that. Matthew and I can calculate that. That's really easy. Maybe if we go into the cities, we can negotiate something on credit. Yes, yes that could work. Negotiate with whom? The closest city is Abila and its entire population is here. It's nine miles away and even if we raided every house in town, we'd have to find a way to bring it back here and it would still only feed a fraction of the masses. Can you bring me anything? Surely there's some food from someone, even a small amount. Five loaves of bread and two fish. But what is this for so many? Barley loaves. Two fish and five barley loaves. Thank you for clarifying. This is humiliating. John, he will take care of it if he wants to. You look scared. What are you afraid of? I'm afraid that he'll choose them. This is wonderful bread, Telemachus. I know it's not enough. Oh, it's enough for me. I can do a lot with this. Thank you.
1: All right, how many of you know that story? Wonderful, all right. So some of you may know what's about to happen. Don't give away the ending. We'll see the ending later, all right? But we're going to talk about that story tonight. For those of you that are asking who is this weird, bald-looking man, uh, my name is Jay. I am Corey's dad, uh, and I'm thankful that Corey allowed—yeah, it's crazy. I'm just kidding. I wish I was Corey's dad. Man, if my boys would turn out as good as Corey O'Hara, I'm telling you what. Now my name is Jay. I get to work alongside Corey and the wonderful middle school team. Y'all are so blessed with Morgan and Jake and Lydia and Sam uh, and just some great other volunteers that help y'all each and every week. I don't think you realize how blessed you are uh, to have these wonderful adults that are each and every week coming up here and sharing the word and asking how your day went and talking to you and trying to help you figure out what it looks like to live for Jesus. What it looks like in a world where probably you don't get a a lot of high fives for living for Jesus. There are people that probably even look at you and go, why do you go to church? And what do you do there? And that's weird. And why do you get up before everybody else and read your Bible and all those things? But here's the deal. You've got a lot of adults around you that are cheering for you and are encouraging you and giving you high fives for doing those things that we see throughout Scripture that tell us this is how you live for God. This is how you become all that God wanted you to be. And so... My name is Jay. I get the privilege of working alongside of all these people. And Corey was so gracious to allow me to come tonight and be able to share this story and just a few things that we can learn from this story. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 9. If you don't have your Bible, it's okay. Uh, It'll be on the screen. Here's what I would like to ask. If you have a phone, and I do this all the time when I talk, if you have a phone, it's really hard sometimes if it buzzes to not look at it. So I'm going to ask you to put it in your pocket, to put it under your seat. If you're wearing a a cast, to stick it down in your cast. Not so far that you can't get it back out, all right? So that it's not a distraction for about the next 15 or 20 minutes, all right? So that you can focus on this passage. You can focus on what God wants you to learn tonight. And if you've got your Bible, though, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 9. And we're going to read a little bit. And you saw some of this. So let's look in Luke 9 verse 10. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bessadia. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, The 12 came to him and said, send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we're in a remote place here. He replied, you give them something to eat. They answered, we have only five loaves of bread, and in the video, barley bread, right? "Um, And two fish, unless we go and buy food for all this crowd, about 5,000 men were there. But he said to his disciples, have each of them sit down in groups of about 50 each the disciples did so, and everybody sat down. And we're going to stop right there, and here's what we're going to look at. I want, First of all, to tell you just a little bit of the significance of this story. This story is told in all four of the major Gospels. When you look at the New Testament, all right, this is uh, the word that's written as Jesus is born and after Jesus' life. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell us about Jesus' life, and all four of these Gospel authors tell us this story. Now, they all see it from a little different angle, and so we learn a little bit different about the story, but it's all the same truth, right, of what happened. And so get what happened. You just saw it on the screen, right? Huge crowd listening to Jesus, been some walking for days, hungry. It's not like you can just order up, you know, Uber Eats, Grubhub, and they'll just bring it over to you, right? And so what do we do? These people need food, And they say, we don't have any food. And I want us to look tonight at just three groups of people in this story and what you can learn from these people, all right? Now, I'm not saying all these people are bad. I'm going to paint it in a light where it causes you to ask the question, is this something that I would do, all right? But all three of these different groups, we have something to learn. So the first group we're going to learn from tonight is the crowd. These are all the people that are there, okay? And here's the question I want you to ask about yourself that we sometimes can see in this crowd. Do you have a hunger for involvement that covers your hunger for truth? Let me explain. Do you have a hunger to be a part of the group more than you have a hunger to do what is right? Do you have a desire to be accepted by people more than to be accepted by God? You see, I'm not saying that this crowd was all there because they didn't want to hear from Jesus. I think many of them were there because they wanted to hear from Jesus. He was the fulfillment of all the stories they've been hearing, right? Jesus has been walking around teaching and healing people, and these people have heard the story, and they're like, I want to hear for myself, right? I want to hear, and I want to see, and that's a great thing. But I bet there were some people in the crowd that just says, what? Large group of people? I want to see what's going on, right? If right now in the middle of this, about half of you threw down your Bible, stood up and ran out of the door, what are the rest of us going to do? We're probably going to run out the door. And if not, we're going to be the constantly going, right? Because we want to see, we want to be involved. That's not necessarily a bad thing. But here's what can happen is sometimes we get swept up in the crowd and we forget to think about what are we following and what are we looking at right tells us in Matthew 7:15 watch out for false prophets they come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly they are ferocious wolves what this says is sometimes there's some things that look really good that aren't good for you there are things in this life did you know that satan will take something that's really good and twist it and make it bad right our phones it's one that we talk about all the time. Your phone is a great tool to be connected to your friends, to be connected to your parents, to be able to look at different things and read information. But here's the deal. If you use your phone in the wrong way by looking at it, let's say, 10 hours a day, that's way too much. Or if you use your phone to send mean text to a friend, or you use your phone to look at things or be involved in things that you shouldn't, The phone was not bad, right? But Satan twisted and used that. We see that of being a part of a group. We are desire, we desire, we are made to want to be in with other people. Now, some of you are introverts and you're like, I don't really want to be with all these people. I understand that, right? But we like being around friends. We like having people around us. But if all we think about is I want to be liked by the people around me. If all we think about is I'll do anything for this person to like me or for this group to say I'm accepted. Now see, we've taken a good desire we've had and Satan has twisted it and it's become bad, right? You see, so many times we see uh, Hebrews 11.1 one says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. There are some things that we have to be able to know in our heart is the right thing to do, even if everybody else is not telling us that's what we should do. Now, where do we get that in our heart? First of all, we get it from the Bible. We know the Bible. It says in Psalm 119, 11, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. In other words, I learned the Bible says don't lie. It's in my heart. So when somebody asks me a question, I don't have to look to the Bible to know what to do. I know I don't lie. I tell the truth. Now, here's the thing. Sometimes... Everything around us may say, lie, 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 right? I use this example all the time when I'm talking to different groups of people. When your parents say, did you clean your room and you didn't, everything in your body screams what? Just lie, right? (laughs) Say, no, I didn't do that, right? But we're like, well, hold on a second. No, mom, I didn't clean my room. And you know, I'm going to get in trouble for this because she told me to clean my room and I didn't do it, right? And so sometimes we have to just know this is the right thing to do. If you study much uh, about people that talk about the beginning of the world, you talk about people that um, believe in evolution, and you look at different people that believe different things, they, one of the words that we look at are these people that are atheist, which means theist, means God, a, which means against, or it means no God. And so they would say, I believe that God did not create the heavens and the earth. I believe that there's not a God. Now, how can they say that with absolute certainty that something doesn't exist if they've never seen it or they've never not seen it, right? But they fill in the gaps where they say, hey, that just doesn't make sense. I don't understand everything, so they write it off. So many times for us, we have a hunger to just be a part of a group. We have a hunger to understand something that sometimes will compromise even what is true. And that's scary. And the crowd, I think here, the crowd was following Jesus was a good thing. But sometimes they lose sight of that. Sometimes that happens for us. Maybe sometimes we're wanting to do the right thing. We're wanting to come to church. We're wanting to put on and, and do the right stuff. But sometimes maybe our heart doesn't match our actions. Let's look at a second group. The disciples. Now, the disciples are good people, right? Y'all awake? Yes. Disciples are good, right? They were doing good things. But look at what they did in this story. The disciples had a hunger for power... That covered their hunger for wisdom. Look there in verse 12. Late in the afternoon, the 12 came to him and said, Did they come to him and say, Jesus, you are the son of God. We have a problem. What would you have us do? Is that what they said? No. They said... Jesus, send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding village, blah, 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 and remote place, blah, blah, blah. They came to God with solutions, not just the problem. I want to say that again because I want you to understand this. They came to God and said, I've figured out the answer, God. Here's what I need you to do to this problem I have. How many times do we do that? God, I have this problem. If you'll help me pass this test, I'll never come into another test without studying again. God, if you will help me just get into this group of people, I'll always stand for you. God, if you'll help me just have a little more money so I can have a little bit nicer clothes, then I promise I'll always tell everybody about who you are. God, if I just could have a different set of parents... God, if I had a different background, God, if I had this, if I had, and we put all these ideas and all these solutions in front of God and says, God, here's the answer to all of my problems. Do this for me. And we don't necessarily come to God and say, God, what are you trying to teach me in this? God, why do I feel this way? God, what about my heart is leading me to want to be, accepted by this group so much that I would be willing to compromise and do something that I don't think is right. Isaiah 55, 8, 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As high as the heavens are, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So when I was in middle school, we had middle school. Y'all's middle school was 6th, 7th, and 8th. Mine was 7th, 8th, and 9th. So when I was in seventh grade, I love sports. I grew up playing sports my whole life. When I was in seventh grade, I was on the football team, but I wanted to be on the basketball team as well. So I tried out for basketball, and the way it works is you would try out on Monday, and then you would come in the next morning, Tuesday morning, you bring all your stuff, and you would go look, and your name is on the list. You get to come to tryouts the second day. And then you would try out that day, and if your name was on, you got to come to tryout for the third day, and at the third day, that was the team. After the third day, they made the final cut. They kind of cut people every day, right? So seventh grade, I go in. Tuesday morning, my name's on the sheet. Sweet, I'm in. Do tryouts. Wednesday morning, come in. Name's on the sheet. Great. Thursday morning, come in. My name's not on the sheet. I don't make the team. And I can remember for the whole year, and some of you do this, for the whole year, I'm like, you know, I need to grow 12 inches like Michael Jordan and blah, blah, you know, all that stuff, right? I'm trying, I'm practicing, I'm doing my thing. I go play church league basketball, have a great time with my friends, but I'm like, I've got to make the middle school basketball team. At, at, at this point in my life, that was my life. Eighth, or eighth grade year, comes around. Try out Monday, names not, are on the list. Go to Tuesday, my name's on the list. I go to Wednesday, my name's on the list. I go to Thursday morning and my name is on the list but it's listed as a reserve. So I didn't even realize the other time, but they have people that says, hey, if somebody backs out, you're in, right? Well, I was a reserve. I didn't get on the team. And I remember thinking, I didn't get on the team again. I've only got one year left. I've got to make the middle school basketball team because life's over after middle school, right? This is the greatest years of your life, right? No? Okay, yeah, no. Um, But I thought, I've got to make the team. So I do the whole thing, play with church league, do my stuff, get to ninth grade. Here's the deal. Monday, I'm on the sheet. Tuesday, I'm on the sheet. Wednesday, I'm on the sheet. Thursday, I'm on the sheet. I made the team my ninth grade year. The greatest thing I could ever imagine. Absolutely. I was a baller. Yeah. (laughs) You want to know what's crazy? Here's what's crazy. I'm going to tell you all this story. I hated it. I loved playing basketball. But my coach was mean and he didn't talk nice to me, and I thought he hated me, and I hated it, and I quit right before our church league started because I realized I had so much more fun playing in my church league. I'd spent three years wanting something that when I finally got it, I realized it wasn't as good as I wanted anyway. Here's what I'll tell you, and that's a crazy story, but I'll go even further. Here's what's crazy. Years down the road, my middle school coach came to me, and he, he, long story, but we bumped into each other, and he said, Jay, I so hated that you quit that year. I understand you wanted to go play church league, blah, 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 but I hate it because I loved you on the team. You always had such great attitude, such great, you know, said all these things that were so important about the way I treated others and encouraged others and all these things, and I'm thinking, that was it. God had the answer to say, Jay, I want not for you to be on the team. I want you to be a person that is kind to others. I want you to be a person that perseveres when things don't go your way. I want you to be a person that has integrity and and says the right things at the right time. And I thought it was all about me being on the basketball team and having a good time. And I missed the most important things God wanted to do in my life. The disciples missed the opportunity to go before Jesus and say, Jesus, we trust you. What do we need to do? They walked to Jesus and said, hey, we've already got it figured out. We're going to take care of this for you. Guys, here's the deal. This is what I'll tell you. We're not supposed to just sit back and do nothing, but so many times we should come before God and say, God, what do you want me to do in this situation? What do you want me to learn in this situation? And I'm ready. And so many times we go, but God, if you'll work this stuff. And God says, I don't need to work things out. I want you to learn through even the good and the hard. Let's look at the last group of people, and it's not really a group; it's a person. The boy. This boy had a hunger for usefulness that led to obedience. This boy, you can imagine, he woke up that morning. I don't know what he was doing, walking where he was going, what he was doing for his mom. But she had packed his lunch, which I, you know, I wish she would have thrown like a little Debbie cracker or cookie or something. You know, just two fish and five loaves. But he's on his way. He's tracking along. But here's the deal. When he saw a need, he stepped up among these adults, these people that had a little more authority, a little more power than him, and said, hey, I can help. I want to help. And you saw, even when he brought it in, they were kind of like, this is not enough. Like, why would you even tell us you have this? Like, what a waste of our time to even act like this could work. But this boy says, but I want to help. 1 Peter 1.14, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. You see, here's the deal. This boy knew. I don't know how God is going to use me. I don't know what y'all are going to do with this, but I'm giving it to you because I want to help. My boys, I have three boys. They're all in high school now. They're all, one of them's actually taller than me. Uh, They're all big boys. They're growing up. But they learned early on, right from wrong. They learn. don't play in the street, right? They learn. don't put your hand on a, 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 a hot stove. Thank you for those words. Words are hard for preachers, right? They learned right from wrong. You learned right from wrong. But here's the deal. At some point you started to learn but what would happen if I touched the stove? Right? But if I ran across the road just real fast before the car got here, what's the worst that's going to happen? Right? Like, if I went out and played in my church clothes on Sunday morning, eh, I'm not going to fall in the dirt. Is that even a thing anymore? Do y'all have church clothes? No. Okay, forget it. That's my growing up, all right? Here's the deal. It's the same thing about right from wrong. And how sometimes we get bored and sometimes we wonder what will happen. And sometimes we want to push and we don't trust. I think many times when it comes to being useful, sometimes we get bored with just doing the things that God has told us to do. Sometimes we come to church and we just get bored sitting and listening. Or maybe we get bored waking up and reading our Bible. And we think, I want to do something more, God. I want to do something bigger for you. And so what do we do? We say, I'm going I'm to position myself so that people see me and they know I read my Bible and I'm going to tell everybody about reading my Bible. Now, why are you telling everybody reading your Bible? Because you want them to say, yay, Ra, you, good job. Right? Yeah. Or are you doing that because you genuinely want to help other people and you want to encourage other people? Maybe you see you have a friend that does something good, but you're just like, I don't want to give them the credit. I want the credit for that. And maybe we put ourselves in situations and we compromise, once again, what it looks like to be useful because we think all of a sudden we've got to do something and we forget that God said, look, I didn't tell you to be useful. I told you to be obedient. C.S. Lewis. How many of you have ever read C.S. Lewis? Anything? All right, some of you all read that. Good. So screw tape Letters, Mere Christianity, this deep stuff, but you can do it as middle schoolers. Screw tape letters are fun uh, to read, a little scary, but you know that you can do that. But C.S. Lewis was an author. And in one of his books, he wrote a story about two angels. And it said these two angels were given two different lots, two different services they were to do. One was to go clean the dirtiest streets in all of the world. And one was to go rule the largest kingdom in all of the world. And it says, C.S. Lewis writes. He says, "But to neither angel did it matter which lot fell to them, because their only goal was to be obedient to the Lord." My question to you, students, for this little boy who brought this meager little gift in the same way you as a sixth grader or a seventh grader or an eighth grader says, "You know what? I don't really have anything to do. Bellevue's a big church. I don't really have a gift. I don't really have a talent that's going to change things. God didn't say, look, I don't need you to do something. I don't need you to come up here and preach. I need you to be obedient where you are. Let me tell you this. Me standing up tonight and preaching, I love doing this. I love teaching that. And some of you may look at that and go, wow, that's so cool. That's awesome. I want to do that one day. Or, man, that's so cool you do that. Here's what I'll tell you. Some of you going to school tomorrow and looking at your friend and saying a kind word, Or telling somebody about what you learned in the Bible when you read it that morning will have more impact than me standing up here and preaching. You ever think about that? That one of you may do the right thing. You may be obedient to the Lord tomorrow to a person who understands for the first time what it means to love God, what it means to follow Him and their lives forever changed. And that's so much more meaningful than any sermon that I would give that doesn't produce the same result. And so that's my challenge to you. Are you like this boy going to say, you know what? I want to be useful and so I'll be obedient in whatever I have. Let's look at the last two verses and see what happens in the story. in Luke 9, let's look at verse 15. The disciples did so and everybody sat down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over.
0: Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. But to find some bread. If they've got bread, be ready. We'll probably be first. Feed them. What has changed? Are we... Organize the people into groups of fifty and a hundred. Gather up twelve baskets to distribute the loaves and fish. Was I unclear? Ah, no. This feels familiar. Maybe. Anyone have a basket? Please. Borrow a basket. Feed them. Anyone? Yes. Anyone have a basket? Anyone? The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man Anyone? took and sowed in his field. Have a it is the smallest of all seeds, can but when it has it grown can. It's larger, larger than all the okay, gardens. I've got It becomes a tree so that the birds of the air can come and make their nests in its branches. You, I've got one. Let's just keep uh, break, break up the bread. No oh, yeah. oh, yeah. need do we have. One? Yes. So I, I the no, you think so. There, you take some. There. need some. Yeah. Give me some. You have enough? Just like yeah. That? yeah, yeah. There, there. Yes. Anyone need some? Better than the tail. That's the last of it. Yeah, that's the last of it. (sighs) All right, Marcus, Mm -hmm. you can have your basket back. What? basketball 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 this? <laughs> you <see all> this? <laughs> <How>? <laughs> time giving you spiritual food. But you clearly need actual food now. So let's eat.
1: So here's what I, here's what I would say. I don't know if that's the actual way it happened. But I think sometimes we read these stories and we, we think they're just things that are written on a piece of paper. And we forget that this is a real, actual event that happened. That Jesus did a miracle a miracle, and performed, the, or had the opportunity to feed all of these people. And there's one person in this story that we didn't talk about, that how we relate to them, how we relate to the crowd, how we relate to the disciples, how we relate to the boy. The question I would ask and I want you to deal with is how do you relate to Jesus? Jesus is not just a person that's on these pages, but Jesus was a real person that walked on this earth, that performed miracles, that healed people, that taught about who God was. And he is a person, it tells us in John 14, that says, there is no way for you to have an eternity with God, the creator of the universe, separate of Jesus Christ. He says he's the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through him. And you have to accept Him as your Savior and say, because of the sin that I have in my life, because I messed up, and we all do, there's no way that that I can be in the presence of God with this sin. And I have to get rid of this sin, and the only way I can do it is through Jesus Christ and have a relationship with Him because of the sacrifice He paid for me on the cross. And you all hear that from Corey each and every week. And so we have to make Him Savior, but here's the other thing, and this is the other challenge I would have for many of you because I know many of you And I know many of you have made that decision to say, I trust Jesus Christ to be Savior of my life. I will get into heaven because I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. But here's the second thing, and this is the the next step. Is Jesus Lord of your life, those students? Lord, is He master? Is He the boss? Does He get to tell you how you're going to respond to people when they're mean to you? Is He the one that's going to tell you if you're going to tell a lie or to tell the truth? Is He the one that's going to give you direction and guidance for how you're going to live your life? Because that's what a Lord does. A Lord directs. A Lord is a master. And so tonight, I want you to decide how, what is your response to Jesus. We're going to sing one more song. And I want you to decide, have you made Jesus Savior of your life? If you haven't, I know that there's plenty of people in the back of the room that would love to talk to you about it. Or afterwards, we'll be around. And we can talk to you about it. What does it mean that Jesus is Savior? That He saved me from my sins? Or for many of you, maybe you need to decide, is Jesus Lord of my life? And I need to look and say, wait a minute, I'm following the crowd. I need to pursue truth. Or maybe I'm just trying to give God all the answers and I need to trust Him. Or maybe I just need to realize that being useful sometimes is just being obedient to God. And allow Jesus to be the Lord of your life. I want to pray for us and then we're going to sing. And we're going to let you do business with God and and sing this last song and then we'll be done. Okay? So let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for who you are. I thank you for these students. I thank you for this opportunity we've had tonight to read about, God, when you performed this miracle in front of all these people, you showed that you were master and Lord over food. Something so small as food, God demonstrated something so big of who you are. And so I pray tonight, even as we hear a story that many of us have probably heard dozens of times, That, God, tonight we see it in a fresh way and we're reminded that, God, we want to follow you. Not with our answers, but, God, with our questions. We want to know, God, where do you want us to be? What do you want us to do? How do you want us to love? How do you want us to care for our friends? And that, God, we will sit back and just like these people saw a great miracle, that, God, we would see a miracle as you work in our life, maybe in our friends' lives as we tell others about Jesus, God, as we tell others about the love you have for us. And so, God, tonight I pray as we sing this last song that many of the students in this room, God, will just be honest with you. God, many of this room will never know what, what is going on in the hearts and lives of these students. And so, God, I'm praying tonight that you do, that you will speak to the students in this room tonight and they'll do business with you. Ask this in your son's name. Amen.